0: Welcome to the Best Science Medicine Podcast, BS without the BS. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 518th episode of the Best Science Medicine Podcast. My name is James McCormack, and I'm a professor with the Faculty of Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of British Columbia.
1: I'm Mike Allen. I'm a family doctor and the director of practice support at the College of Family Physicians of Canada. I'm also an adjunct professor at the U of A.
0: You have to say it slowly, don't you? I know. because I know, because methods-
1: I want people to know. The acronym. You know, we need to introduce Sam as we're already hearing her laughter. So Sam (laughs) is joining us today to go over one of her recent tools for practice, which um, she and I uh, tug a word over for probably a good week. (laughs) We Um, did. Sam, why don't you introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, my name is Samantha Moe, and I am a clinical pharmacist by training, and I worked in primary care for about 10 years before joining the College of Family Physicians of Canada, and I work there as a clinical evidence expert, and I'm a member of the peer team. So thanks for having me. Yeah,
0: and this is Sam's, we couldn't forget, I think fourth or fifth, you've done a number of podcasts with us, and they all go really, really, really well. And so uh, this is a topic, Mike, that I would suggest we have not covered before. I, it's not One, it's not diabetes, it's not statins. <laughs> But uh, so, so Sam, why don't you uh, actually tell us where this topic came from and and how you came about to to look into it?
2: Well, like my colleagues and I were kind of brainstorming different myths that we had heard kind of in medicine or in pharmacy school or even just like in our household. Mm -hmm. And once in a while, like I have three kids and one of the kids gets sick and they get gastro and we're like, oh, we should hold their milk um, so they feel better faster. And that was kind of one of the myths we stumbled across. And we we're like, hey, I wonder if there's any data out there to tell us if that myth is true. And so we kind of went down this rabbit hole of looking into whether avoiding lactose-containing products does anything for acute pediatric diarrhea. So that kind of was the tool. And um, yeah, so we're here to talk about it today.
0: And so the, the clinical question is just, Do does do lactose-containing formulas or diets... Worsen acute pediatric diarrhea, and I think, Mikey, I'm sure you you agree that you've heard. Uh, we'll we'll figure out whether or not it's a myth later, but we, but you, uh, you've probably heard a lot of people recommend that.
1: Yeah, sure. It's, so it's one of the common recommendations, right? From the time I was in medical school and the uh, '90s, I think.
0: <laughs> and and just, uh, just so just to make sure we know we mean the 1990s. <laughs>
1: um. And uh, it was uh, it was a common belief then. But I remember literature coming out that um, conflicted it in one way or the other. So one was a study I remember reading that it didn't make a difference.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and we'll find out whether that's uh, real and, and that kind of thing from Sam. But also recommendations. And of course, um, breast milk contains lactose, but we know that Um, We should, uh, there's been advocacy to continue breastfeeding, even when kids are sick with gastro, if at all possible, etc. So there's lots of little nuances. And I think when I suggested at the beginning that Sam and I had a tug of war over this, it was trying to get those key elements like are these are who are we talking about here are we talking about breastfeeding kids are we talking about kids who are formula fed or are we talking about kids who are done both mm-hmm. and now consuming milk products of some type or another like cheese or whatever yeah. so it was a lot of that back and forth i think sam um mm-hmm. that uh, i created a major obstacle for you in getting
2: this published.
1: Yeah. Just, so i apologize yeah. uh, But why don't you take us through the evidence for these kind of some of the different things that I've just listed.
2: Yeah, for sure. So I guess the first thing to talk about is like originally when we came up with this question, we were thinking of like milk, really, in like older kids. Like, should we stop their milk um, when they're feeling unwell or when they have gastroenteritis? Um, but as it turns out, like when we look through the literature, a lot of the literature was around formula fed kids. Um, and so we'll talk about that kind of first and then talk about cow's milk afterwards. Um, in terms of um, formula, there were four systematic reviews with 22 to 33 randomized controlled trials. A lot of these randomized control trials were done in the late 80s and in the early 90s. And in these systematic reviews, about 2,200 to 2,900 um, children, so primarily formula-fed children, um, they were a lot of them were hospitalized but clinically stable, and they had acute diarrhea. And as they presented to the hospital, they had they were already receiving or when they got into the study, they started to receive oral rehydration. And so, what these systematic reviews found was that if you compare, like, lactose-free formula versus lactose-containing formula, um, they wanted to look at how long diarrhea lasted. Like, was it shorter uh, in these kids who had lactose-free formula? And as it turned out, if you, you gave your kid lactose-free formula, it reduced the duration of diarrhea by about 18 hours compared to lactose-containing formula. So, 18 hours. Um, As, you know, when we talk about gastroenteritis, usually we say it lasts for two to five days. So in these particular studies, when we looked at how long the diarrhea lasted, it was about two to three days. So I would say 2.75 days versus 3.5 days in the lactose-containing group. So its I know we grapple with like small, moderate, or large benefit and what that actually means, like 18 hours in the setting of a three-day illness, something like that. So that's one of the outcomes they looked at.
0: Sam,
1: so look- I just want to say, when you're talking about small or large outcomes, <laughs> as a parent changing diapers in a poopy kid, <laughs> that's a huge outcome.
2: <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but, but, they, but they
0: did look at a, a more, not not useful outcome, but one that you can sort of wrap your head around a little bit.
2: Yeah, are you talking about treatment yeah, failure? Yeah, Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So they did look at treatment failure. And as you can imagine, like through these RCTs, it was variably defined. Um, different studies use different definitions, but typically it was continued or worsening diarrhea or vomiting the need for rehydration, um, recurrent dehydration is another outcome, or weight loss. And the authors just took whatever outcome these RCTs, or whatever definition these RCTs use, and they showed that if you were taking lactose-containing formula, the risk of treatment failure was 17%, but it went down to 9% if you were on a lactose-free formula. And that translates to a number needed to treat of 14 over 24 to 72 hours. So for treatment failure, there is a benefit, and for diarrhea duration, there's also a benefit. Um, other outcomes they looked at: duration of hospitalization. As I said, most of these kids were hospitalized, and weight. Um, in terms of an outcome, neither of these outcomes were any different between the groups, um, and so that's what they found for lactose-free versus lactose-containing formula.
0: Now I didn't I didn't look at any of this, so I'm just going to ask uh, some questions. Now, were these kids? Do you, do you think it could have been the fact that they were being, that they were just lactose intolerant in the, to begin with? And so they just, be, they got more diarrhea than they would have, or is it the other way? You see where I'm going with this? Is it possible, were they coming in already uh, uh, using mm-hmm. non lactose containing mm-hmm. products, or was that even mentioned?
2: No, a lot of these kids had like, um, most of these cats have rotavirus. So they had an acute kind of infectious diarrhea right. for the most part. Um, and they tended to take out, some trials tended to take out some of these kids who were thought to have intolerances. Okay. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Any, anything else, Mike, that you wanted to add?
1: Well, and I think Sam, part of the context is that, that um, rotavirus infections actually c- kind of disrupt our ability to digest um right lactose. Could you explain that a bit?:
2: Yeah, so they think that infectious gastroenteritis is associated with um, a lactase deficiency and it's just for a short period of time and they think rotavirus for whatever reason seems to be particularly um, the virus that causes this lactase deficiency. so there's some pharmacological or, or biological rationale behind the idea that you know it might be beneficial to stop lactose.
0: And Mike, we're not lo- big into that. we're not making that, that because it's a mechanism. I was just
1: going to say, yeah. yeah, we're not big into that usually, but it is interesting. It's
2: interesting for sure. What,
1: what, I, what, I, what I prefer in these cases is we have the evidence yeah. and we know the answer and then we can, <laughs> like when it actually lines up, most of the time it, it doesn't line up at all. The other thing that I noticed, Sam, in the tools for practice that I never brought this up in our back and forth was the phrase calculation by peer. That was for the days. And I, I know some of what that means, but can you explain a little bit what that means for uh, the listeners?
0: Well, just, yeah, well actually so, just so you know, so that we, what, we, what Mike is talking about is that we have a phrase calculation by peer. And if you didn't know, peer is the is our group, yeah. just in case people didn't know. So uh, there's a, a little phrase in there that the calculation was by peer. So
2: Yeah. So it was interesting because when you read through these systematic reviews, um, they were pretty good at reporting what the difference was between groups. So there's an 18 hour difference between um, the two groups with regards to duration of diarrhea. But it didn't really give us like the baseline, like, like in these studies, how long did kids have diarrhea if they were in the control group? versus if they were in the treatment group. And unfortunately, we couldn't find it. And it's one of the limitations of the literature, like it wasn't available. So we went through and we tried to take the data from the metagraphs and calculate it ourselves. So by peer, we mean the peer team did some of the math behind it to try and give an answer that was, that could kind of tell you, well, this is the baseline, about two to three days is how long um, kids in the control group had diarrhea versus how long in the treatment group.
1: And- Sam, that's so important because if, if the children in the control group were having diarrhea for 19 hours and this shortened it by 18 hours, that's a pretty big difference. And if they were having diarrhea for three weeks and this shortened it by 18 hours, it's not such a big difference. So, so understanding, we've talked about this ad nauseum uh, and the pun was not intended, (laughs) but I wish it was. Um, we've talked about this lots, but understanding what these numbers are is important for you, for for us as clinicians to understand the context
0: of the information. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important and it doesn't just apply here, Mike, as you know it. The yeah. context is if we did nothing. What happens? What happens? And if and if you actually know that for the top 10 or 20 or maybe 30 things that you see on a day-to-day basis, boy, does it ever inform your thought process. And, and you, we, as you said, we've been doing this ad nauseam, or in this case, ad diarrhea, uh, for, 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 for a 518 podcasts. But yeah, no, it's really useful to have that. And, you know, when we say that it was calculated by peer, uh, you know, these are ballpark numbers. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, it, like I said, my, we know it's not 18 hours versus one hour. We know it's not 50 days versus, you know, 49. But the, so it, I think it is very, very useful. So that's that's from that sort of context, but there was another systematic review as well, right?
2: Yeah, there's some other analyses that they did were kind of interesting. So um they also looked at whether if you diluted formula, if that made any difference and and I worked on this tools for practice with I just mentioned Kendra Cotton, who's a pharmacist in Australia, and Jen Potter, who's a family doc in Winnipeg. And Jen was saying, you know, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Like, why would you study diluted formula? Who would ever think to do that? But in fact, it was studied in a systematic review of nine RCTs with 687 children. And what they did was they diluted um, lactose-containing formula by about 25 to 50%, and they compared it to whether um, giving it full-strength, so full-strength formula. And what they found was that in terms of that that outcome that we talked about earlier, treatment failure, so same kind of definitions, um, there was an improvement if you give um, diluted formula uh, in terms of treatment failure. So um, 11% versus 17% with a number needed to treat of 17 over 24 to 72 hours. So it was kind of interesting. In this case, um, Other outcomes like diarrhea duration and weight was no different. Um, But that one outcome of treatment failure did come back to be statistically different.
0: And what I find interesting with that, it basically, I mean, those results are almost identical to the previous systematic view that you mentioned. And and you can kind of go, you know, you may not have to go get, uh, you know, lactose free formula. It may just be able to just dilute it and get exactly the same effect. Yep. I mean, but there's no head-to-head comparisons, I would imagine, or were there?
2: No, yeah. not so, that I saw, yeah.
0: Yeah, so that, I mean, that, that to me would make uh, as much sense to do as, as, you know, trying to get something else, because even, yeah. like I said, almost identical numbers.
2: Yeah, and you don't want to have to go out and buy, like, oh, a, exactly. a, a new can of lactose-free formula if you're only going to use it for, like, one day. Like, yeah. it's too expensive to do no, that, right? Might. So, yeah, it's definitely an option. Yeah, I
0: think that's a great, great uh, potential option. And then there's huh. some, there is some stuff with uh now cow's milk as well.
2: Yeah, so that was really kind of where my interest was and in- And unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of data around this. So we only found three randomized control trials in total looking at what happens if you compare full strength cow's milk to a diet without milk. And these two randomized control trials were quite old, they're at least 30 years old. They had about 70 children in each and the mean age was anywhere from seven months to 15 months in each of the two trials. And it didn't show any difference. And and there's some, you know, limitations around these trials, but essentially diarrhea duration showed no difference across the two of them. So I think this was part of the tug of war that Mike and I had. It's like, how come the formula, da- you know, formula studies are showing a difference, but the milk data is not showing any difference. And part of it is probably the limitations. These are small trials. They're very old. The data is not super well reported. And it's hard to kind of tease out some of that data, but it's not it's, it's not coming out to be any different.
0: I mean, it could, or it could, it could be something uniquely different between be. the formula be. and, and cow's milk.
2: Yep. It could be that we don't know about yet. Yeah. <laughs> yep and then in terms of diluting milk there was one rct 62 children mean age was 22 months again treatment uh, this outcome of treatment failure didn't show any difference if you diluted milk again that's a little bit in contrast to the formula studies and we're not quite sure why but um, that's what the data showed
0: and um, but, but you you identify some limitations though
2: yeah so these limitations in terms. so these studies like i said they're old And they gave cow's milk to kids who were really young. So we don't really do that. Like we don't give cow's milk Mm -hmm. um, to kids who are seven months old. Um, We do kind of if they're over the age of one, I guess. But it's kind of different from like what the practice was in these RCTs compared to what we actually do in contemporary practice. So there are some definite limitations. The RCTs are not blinded um sometimes the stats were a bit tricky to interpret and they're not because they think they were old they weren't well reported so it's hard to like kind of it wasn't very transparent in terms of how it was done but yeah so tricky
1: (laughs) yeah it sounds like they were giving kids milk in a bottle at age three months you know like as for some of them like that's
2: yeah that's
1: really quite early and the um and and yeah not what we would do today so and and there was you know, th- these ages of the kids were a li- Sounds like they were a little bit higher on average than the formula ones. So there's a, there's potentially lots of reasons why it's the results are different. Mm-hmm. But it's all conjecture. We don't we don't actually know why. Uh, but I think that's what I was going by. I think I was going by when I had, and I think it was presented by one of my classmates at rounds in residency that that cow's milk hadn't been proven to be um bad and now that was a big surprise to me because we we did preach against um lactose containing products um so it was really it's a it's an interesting area that the most important question probably is around the cow's milk and we don't actually know the answer yeah. to that or at least not a good answer we don't have yet not a really
0: reliable one. Oh, talk about being yeah. debbie down i mean people have listened for 17 minutes now mike <laughs>
1: Really? I'm <laughs> oh, sorry, James. Nice saying,
0: no, we, we just don't have the answer. But no, it's, this is, you know, the, the, the nice thing about the, the, the really cool thing about all of these tools of practice is they, you know, we, we can't guarantee answers in all these, but we can at least say this is the best evidence we could find. And uh, so, um, which is great. And I think uh, maybe, maybe you could, uh, Sam, you could just put, put it into some sort of a context, you know, <laughs> and, you know is, is this going to, what would you do and how does all, you know, what do you think about it? What do guidelines recommend yeah. that kind
2: of thing? Yeah. So in terms of the guidelines, they the first thing to emphasize is that if a child is being breastfed, that they should continue to be breastfed um, and even like increasing the amount of breastfeeding um, or continuing to breastfeed on demand, even if the child is going through an acute diarrhea illness. Um, and that includes even during initial rehydration. So breastfeeding continues. Um, if a child is found to be dehydrated, of course, they should be undergoing some kind of rehydration, either oral or if necessary, it can be IV. Um, and once they are rehydrated, the guidelines emphasize resuming um, the child's usual diet as tolerated in terms of food intake. So the guidelines are kind of older. They were published before these systematic reviews. Um, a lot of the systematic reviews are kind of more recent. Um, so the guidelines don't really talk or they... They talk about how it's unnecessary to hold um, lactose-containing products or to switch formulas, um, but again, the recommendations were made prior to the available systematic reviews.
0: Oh, really interesting. Any, anything else you want to add, Mike?
1: No, I, I think it's a it's a fascinating topic. There is some evidence to support that old teaching to avoid lactose, mm-hmm. but it was around formulas, and as mm-hmm. Sam says it's often, you know, what's interesting, we've seen this ourselves, right? When we look at trials of exercise or uh, other th- things like that, you can tell what group you're in. Often there is no suitable control group. There's a whole bunch of things that make those trials more susceptible to bias. And we've we've joked somewhat before that drug trials are better in a sense. And that's because you can give a placebo um uh, it, it's it, they're, they're often a little bit easier to run, so I can see why the formula ones were easier, mm-hmm. the lactose free versus the lactose free versus lactose containing, because they would be like drug trials. You yeah. you just give people one or the other, and they wouldn't know for the most part which one they were getting. So they would have been the cleaner ones. The milk ones would have been harder because you're basically telling families to not drink milk. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we know from diet studies that people often don't follow your advice; they they go by what they would like to
0: see yeah. happen. Now, the, the only caveat—it's not really a caveat—if the effect was dramatic, you would still pick it up.
1: Oh, for sure. Yeah. So
0: for we sure. you know we're you know the the previous the, the stuff that we're talking about with uh, formula and everything. We're talking numbers needed to treat of around fourteen, which means you know <laughs> thirteen people don't appear to benefit at least from the uh, sort of the worsening of the diarrhea. I'm not, I'm not trying to discount the 18 hours of diarrhea, which is, I think, uh, I, I think sometimes one hour might be of advantage. <laughs> you know. But, uh, you have to count
2: it in the number of diapers, really. Yeah. They really, they,
0: they re- you know, they really, what they should have done is, you know, what they did with those cold, uh, studies, Mike, they should have done sort of a weight. They yeah. The, the weight, weight of, of your snotty
1: Kleenexes. yeah. The weight of your snotty yeah.
0: yeah. But, but, uh, uh, this is where I could say we digress, you know, but, it, you know, with the number needed
1: to treat of 14 and 17, James, you mentioned that the, you know, with 14, that the, that 13 people didn't mm-hmm. get a benefit. It's important to understand that, that that's, that is absolutely right what James says, but they didn't benefit for one of two reasons. A, they, they, um, because some people continued to be a treatment failure mm-hmm. And then a, a bunch just got better on their own anyway. Yeah, both yeah. groups, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so that's that's always the problem with the number needed to treat statistic is you don't know when uh, failure occurs to be one of the number needed to treat the you know the number of uh, the fourteenth person. What is it? Is it because? And in this case, it's mostly because most people got better on their own. No,
0: exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's always nice to have the the absolute numbers instead of numbers needed yeah. to treat, which is what we try and provide you guys all the time. Yeah. Great, uh, really good job, Sam. Really, really well done. And that's it. It's a tricky topic, and a, for two reasons: one, it's a tricky topic, and two, you had to run <laughs> it by Mike. Yeah, that is a problem. <laughs> but no, it's it's great stuff. Anything else you want to add, Sam or Mike? No, it's great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, our our pleasure. So uh, I just uh, guess we'll just leave it at that. So thanks as always for listening.
1: Talk to you later. Bye.